Welcome to Design Much with Andy and Patrick. Hey, Patrick. Hello, Andy. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. That's great. Doing fantastic, Andy. That's good. We have a guest. We have a guest joining us yet again. I'm super excited. This is the first time I've had a, a real conversation with, with this individual. The first time I've actually met this individual. I want to introduce Mike Hall and welcome him to the, the Design Much podcast. Thank you. Thank well, you. I'm happy, happy to be here. Really excited to be here. Well, we're excited yeah. to have you. Patrick, uh, yes. I, don't, I don't know if we have ever recorded a podcast on this day before, on Valentine's Day. Has that ever happened? Uh, I don't think so. I don't either. I can't remember such a time. You, very... need to, you need to mark it somehow, you know, like just share your love for each other in this moment here. We're, exactly. Well, we're marking it because we're having you on. And that's, I think that's what we, <laughs> we were like, what could we do for each other that would be really special for me and Andy in yeah. this marriage? And we thought, why not bring Mike Hall in? Why not? I'm happy to, I'm happy to join, you know, happy yeah. to join in and, and see what I can bring to the relationship. <laughs> Well, Patrick, I, I did want to just, you know, this is a special day. It's a day of love. I just wanted to give you some time. I just wanted, I'm going to just stop talking. Just give you some time to express yourself in any way you'd want. Just let us know how you're feeling right now. Well, you didn't, I mean, you didn't give me any time to prepare for this. This is. Do you, do you need time to prepare to? I mean, yeah, I feel like I'm supposed to give you something, you know, something uh, impactful here, but I. I, I mean, you could I'm just speak from words. the heart. Isn't that yeah. kind of the Valentine's Day thing? You just Mike, say what Mike comes naturally. I mean, I could. I could say, Andy, I love you so much. Uh, I'm going to miss doing this podcast with you after this episode. <laughs> um, you know, we had some good times. We had some good times. Um, yeah. But uh, I hope I'm not the one that ends the podcast. <laughs> like, what, what if I'm the one that brings all this down? No. <laughs> Oh, you didn't know where I'm. Ha I'm leaving, and you're taking over. I didn't. Did, was that not in the email, Mike? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you want that, but uh, you know, I'm. I'll give it a try. I'll, I mean, I'll... I think you're going to be fantastic, and I don't care anymore because I'm out. So, <laughs> yeah, you checked out. Me. <laughs> That's what happens when you put your co-host on the spot like that. They just they're done. You knew better. You knew better, Andy. <laughs> Patrick, I love you too. I, I, I just wanted I just wanted you to just tell the world how much you love working with me on Design Much. That's that's what I wanted. I just wanted Yeah. And that's that's what I got. So okay. that's that that was great. That was that was really good. I think I, I gave you the time and I think you expressed yourself well. So you shouldn't be ashamed of that. Okay. I don't feel like you have to leave either. It wasn't that Oh, okay. I'll stay. I'll stay. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to burden Mike with a co host. Uh, this got weird. I, I don't know about this anymore. <laughs> See, so we we now know based on Mike's comment, he's never listened to this podcast. Uh... No, I have, and I knew. I thought I knew what to expect, but uh, you know, confessions of love was was. I don't know. I was. I'm surprised, but I, I'm. I guess I'm not. I shouldn't be that surprised. Yeah, surprised yeah, too. Should. I'm surprised too, Andy. Yeah, we usually do not. these things, you know. Uh, you know, behind closed doors, Andy. I'm glad you brought this out, though. This feels good. This feels good. Get it out. Yeah, I, it looked like you were holding something. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> I had to give you the space. 
<laughs> just to let it out. And Patrick, just just for future reference, we don't need to wait till Valentine's Day for you to express yourself. You can just feel free to let us know, let the whole world know how you feel about working with me. All right, I'll just do that every the, the opening of every podcast. Thanks, I appreciate that. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, uh, great. I think we got that out of the way. Mike, did you wanna did you wanna express anything, or are you good? I, I want to. You know, I feel the love here with us today on this uh, on this meeting, and uh, I'm really grateful to be a part of it and be a witness to it. That's that's wonderful. Very, I'm I'm glad you're feeling it. It's not too awkward. It's got to be. There's, no, there's, there's some awkwardness going on, but that's okay. Just roll with it. You know, yeah. marinate. Let it marinate and just let it happen. There it is. That's that's the that's the mentality we know and love from Mike Hall. <laughs> Just let it marinate. Speaking of marinating, um, let's learn a little bit about you for real. Because I know yes. you marinate some meats, right? I do. I love cooking different types of meats, uh, primarily on a, a smoker. A Traeger uh, smoker is one of my favorite hobbies. Uh, but I also like other things, too. You know, I love to snowboard, and I'm trying to get Patrick up on the mountain with me. Andy, I don't know if oh, you snowboard yeah. but, or ski, but you're wow. welcome to join us. Wow. We could, we could record you. something on the mountain. Uh, but, uh, trying to get Patrick up there. I love live music. I love concerts. I've got a concert this Saturday that I'm really excited for. And, uh, yeah. And currently for work, I am a product director at Indeed and I manage the enterprise platform team. And we've got a team of designers and researchers and content designers that are all working to build, uh, services and components that are leveraged by our different teams as they serve employers in, uh, working to hire. So indeed.jobs is our uh, internal site indeed is hiring very awesome it's beautiful how long at have you in been at indeed now you know it's getting up there i uh, i passed four years last october mm. and uh it's the longest i've ever worked somewhere and so it, I, you know i start to wonder <laughs> like is is this okay should i still be enjoying it this much uh but uh, <laughs> but i am so for now i'm just kind of riding the wave and uh enjoying the work Nice. Should I be enjoying it this much? I love that. Like, I'm having a good time, but maybe I shouldn't be having such a good time. I should really. Yeah. Am I supposed to be looking happiness. for another job? Yeah. yeah. When you hit the three-year mark, is it expected of you to be like, I got to right? another job? Right. I wondered, but it's all good. Hey, roll with it. I'm almost yeah. six at Canopy. See? Andy couldn't it's hang. Like... Andy couldn't hang. He had to I was off. close to three. I was like. I was really close to three, and I and you, you know you were trying to push me out. That's what it was. <laughs> Manage. I mean, I was question. just yeah. I was just you know, <laughs> I was just looking out for your future, Handy. Yeah, exactly. That's all I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great, indeed. You you bring I think a lot of value to the world, at indeed. Thank you. Thank you. It is one of the things that I love. Like, I feel like Indeed has a mission. Our mission is to help people get jobs. Mm -hmm. And I feel like every other company I've worked at has a mission, but it's always like, you know, to optimize business workflows and, you know, things that it's hard to kind of internalize and feel like you can see the output. And, uh, and so that's one thing that I have been really fortunate is like, I don't feel as guilty drinking the Kool-Aid at, uh, at Indeed where, you know, other places you cut, you drink it to get the passion and the drive to be able to find success in your work and enjoyment in your work. And I definitely do. I'm, I'm 
I'm a talker. You know, I love to drink the Kool-Aid and get everyone excited. And isn't this awesome what we're doing? And uh, indeed, just and their mission just makes that a little bit easier for me, which is nice. That is great. Has this been the first? I mean, you're, I know you're on the enterprise side of it, but has this been the first job you've had that's been more, I don't know, customer? Like, like uh, not B2B, but like, you know, consumer type product? Yeah. So when I started out at Indeed, I was working on kind of this internal startup called Indeed Prime, and we later rebranded it to be called Seen by Indeed. And it was, it was a two-sided marketplace where we served both employers that were seeking to hire tech candidates specifically. So engineers, designers, product managers, data scientists, things like that. And so um, that was one of the times where I definitely had more of the consumer side uh, in my work. And so it was fun actually to be able to work on both sides of that marketplace. Um, and then since then, I've transitioned over into our enterprise services side where I don't have as much interaction with uh, the consumer side or what we call our job seekers. So those that go to indeed.com and they enter in a search and apply for a job. I don't um, own any of that experience. We work on the employer services side. So it is kind of more in my wheelhouse of my, my background and what I have done because we are focused on that B2B software interaction and connecting those uh, employers with the job seekers. Um, but most of our uh, services that we work on are employer facing. And so most of my work is B2B at this time. Yeah. Which I like, you know, enterprise software brings lots of complex, complex challenges, which both of you know extremely well because you both work in very complex workflows and spaces. So, Yeah, it's fun. I've never worked for like a consumer product before. Well, I, not kind of, but not like a true consumer thing. So it, it is a different, it's kind of a different mission, right? Like you were talking about, yeah. it feels, mm -hmm. feels much different than, than working on the enterprise side of it. Definitely. But, yeah, okay, Andy. Great. What's our what's 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 our what's our UX topic du jour? This is so cool. That's French, by that the we, way. I love that we don't know. It's so great that we don't know. What <laughs> and we're you can for. you can you can attest to this because we've been accused by many of this is staged <laughs> and we know what we're going to talk about, but this is not. No, you this have is not no pushed. idea. Do you? This is not uh, uh, fake. This is really a mystery, and uh, yeah. I'm excited. I'm here for it. Yeah, we're yeah. far too lazy to actually prepare <laughs> answers yeah. to topics. It's really, it's really what it comes down to. All right. So today's topic is sent in by a friend of the show and actually adopted son of the show, Brian Talbert. Oh, yeah. Foster, so, foster son. We haven't heard from foster the foster son. son in a long time. That's right. Here he is. Uh, so Brian writes in saying, when rolling out a redesign, what is your plan? Do you roll it out in stages or do you release the whole redesign in one big reveal? Ooh. Ooh. Have you been involved in any redesigns lately, Mike? Yes. Yes. I've done a couple. <laughs> <laughs> and, this, and sounds, actually, this sounds so staged, but it's not. It, it's it not. really is. Uh, this is great because I've actually been involved in, I feel like, both types of strategies for redesigns. Um, for me personally, my most recent one was this redesign on um, this kind of startup inside of Indeed that I mentioned called Indeed Prime. And we redesigned that as uh, seen by Indeed. And um, and that was a big reveal, big, huge push leading up to it. And then boom, we, we launched it. And then um, 
on Indeed's other side, we've been working to standardize around a new design system that's been led by our brand systems team. And, uh, and it has been more of a staged approach where we've been working to meet different milestones and we rolled that out to 100% um, last year. We've got some write-ups on our, on our design blog about that effort and about some of the work that's gone into it. Um, so I feel like I, I've got something to add for both, both uh, approaches. <laughs> Very cool. That's awesome. Patrick, I know you have been involved in a redesign with Canopy, yeah, isn't that yeah, right? Yeah, a slight redesign. Yeah, it wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't like a crazy, crazy redesign. But yes, we, we went more of the, well, yeah, we went more of the roll it all out at the same time. <clears throat> Mostly because we had to, like we didn't really have a choice. Um, but we did put it under, you know, like a month trial where people could kind of switch back and forth. And that was mostly mainly just because we were changing some UI elements where some of the UI was in different places, um, you know, from a from an information architecture standpoint. And we didn't want to, like, <clears throat> totally upset people by moving everything. So, um, but yeah, beyond that, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a really crazy change. There were some UI elements changed. Uh, most of it was just a, more of a branding effort, I think, than anything, and, and putting the branding inside of the application. But yeah, we rolled it out all at once, and it was it was kind of I mean, it was nice to like, you know, take a month there, like a month. I think we had two months under like they could leave a comment anywhere they wanted to um, about mm -hmm. it and like give us feedback. Like we were open about, hey, give us feedback with this thing, um, and we made some tweaks. You know, I think we changed like the notification color from like a red to a green. And that seemed to be like the biggest thing that people were upset about, um, which we, we thought they would be less upset with a green color than a red color. You know what I mean? Just because like red means error, but they're like, bring back the red. That was like, the, that was like the, the protest for our wow. customers for like a month. So we brought back the red. Wow. Um, I love that you had so much passion about such a small detail. Like that's yeah. pretty cool that your user base is engaged enough to have that passion and then have you guys obviously action it. Yeah. Well, I know, I know, you know, working at Canopy and working with, uh, you know, designing products for accountants for six years, I've learned that accountants um, get, they, they look at the details a lot. And, uh, and, and that was, that was the detail that popped out a lot. The other, the other thing they always know us with is like grammatical errors and things like that, you know, where it's like, Hey, that you know, like you you misspelled this thing in your app or whatever, and we're like, oh crap, we look like idiots. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, the rollout was really good for us because it 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 was nice because we kind of just sort of flipped a switch, right? Like from a development standpoint, it was like we built everything behind, you know, for like the three four months leading up to the rollout, we kind of built it up behind it, and then we worked with our marketing team to get ahead of the rollout. So the marketing team was sending out emails and we were letting people know it was coming um, and all that kind of stuff for like a month or so. And then we had kind of a, we, we kind of had a date it was coming out. And so everybody was very much aware that it was happening. And then we sort of flipped a switch and um, it happened and it wasn't, you know, it seemed like it was too easy almost um, versus I think. And so from an effort standpoint, I thought it was pretty nice. Uh, I would think an, from an effort standpoint, if you're rolling, if you're trickling something out over time, it might actually be more of a headache to manage, but um, mm -hmm. it don't seem pretty so good. I, I think I have a question that could be interesting here. 
How much do you think a major change in brand should influence whether this is a staged versus one big kind of reveal? That's a yeah. good question. I would, I, that's a, I think it's great. So I, I think, and I haven't been part of like a really involved in a, a brand redesign myself, but I think that that makes a, a potentially bigger change to the rest of the application. Because if you're doing a brand redesign, all of your colors, your icons, your typography, uh, all that sort of stuff needs to match the brand. You can't just like, here's a new, and say, here's a new logo, but everything else looks the same, right? <laughs> uh, you kind of have to potentially change all of those other things on the front-facing website inside the application, if this is like a web app. Um, you kind of have to change everything to match that. And it seems like, again, my perspective of not being a part of this ever, but it seems like all of that needs to change at once. It needs to be more of a, a big thing versus a gradual thing. So they're not going into some app areas of the application that just look old or look off, because that's just a really jarring and strange experience, I feel like. So I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, I think I think brand is a big part of it, um, especially if it's going to be a, like a big significant change, like logo, colors, and typography, and all of that. And if you're looking to adopt that change, because I doubt that any kind of marketing or brand team is going to want to be like, yeah, just show a little, show a taste of it, but don't show them everything. Uh, they they're going to want to have a big splash. I feel like that's always a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I'd say like that's a, such a good question and probably something that that Brian could key off of as far as like, when would you do a large, you know, redesign at all at once versus not because that, that right there. Cause like in my experience with, with the two rebrands that I've been involved with in products over the years, they've all been, they've both been um, sort of packaged with a new website packaged with a new marketing mentality packaged with, you know, everything new, a bunch of marketing materials. And really like, it would be really bizarre if you like, <laughs> We have this new website and we've got this new these new emails and you've got this new login page and then when you log in you sort of get like this old stale like weird mm -hmm. looking site you know that I, I think that would just be yeah i mean from a from a total user experience standpoint it's it's you know it's got to kind of be all or nothing at that point if you're our catalyst for actually rebranding our product was because of the rebrand of our company um and it was like, now it's time, right? It had been like four years. I think up to that point, it kind of looked the same. And it had been, it was like, okay, now it's time. We can, we can rebrand. And we just kind of sort of snuck in like, hey, we're going to fix some architecture problems. And we're going to fix some of these other things. Like we wanted to have more, you know, better visual accessibility and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of like, let's take advantage of the rebrand and, and, uh, and go for it, you know? I think we lost Andy for a second here, Mike. That's okay. I think that um, I feel like one of the masters of the big reveal in over history has been Google. I feel like they've done a fantastic job uh, over years, you know, past years where you remember them going from like their serif font logo to the kind of sans serif type and how it was it was this big visual change and every surface across google changed at once and it was almost like can you find the places that they missed like deep in a settings yeah. page where they had a serif g or in their app or something that they missed but like for the most part i feel like they are kind of the masters as far as what i've seen at like large scale grand reveal 
surprise, here's this big new thing, and then evolving their UI as well uh, with that change. And it usually kind of works really well together. And you're kind of coming into not just a new brand, but a new experience altogether. And uh, I've always been impressed with how kind of masterfully they've they've executed that in the past. And I think we've got a new one coming up with Gmail. Like I saw that they're making changes just to Gmail. Um, but I think that's a little, it's not as big as, as it was with like a whole brand change. Yeah, with the whole entire company across you know, 20, 30 product, product lines. Yeah. <coughs> and then, I mean, speaking of like the staged approach, I feel like, um, and again, a lot of this work is documented on Indeed's design blog. So you have a plug there, uh, indeed.design. You can read about some of our evolution for our, our brand. But a lot of what we were changing with this work wasn't necessarily uh, the core elements of our brand, like logo and, and even voice and tone. Like they did evolve and they've had a lot of maturity brought into them. But there was a huge change for visual style. And, um, and so the need was to adopt that over the course of a year. And um, our approach was to take a staged kind of rollout. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's a big, big group to try to do it for. So I can't even imagine how Google is able to execute that all in one flip a switch on this one day. Because for us, you know, there's so many different designers and teams and engineering work that needs to be done uh, to account for that, that kind of staged approach. So uh, it's, I think it kind of is a, that preference. But if you are making a big change to your brand, I think... I would probably vote for a, a big reveal. I think one of the questions also that it brings is like, if you're changing all of their UI, should you be working to add any features or additional value? Or is it really just, hey, we're gonna just jumble everything up and rearrange it and confuse the hell out of you? Or you know, is does it stay the same, but you're just evolving the visual UI? Like there's a bunch of kind of really tactical questions to ask about whether you should how you should approach it and how much change you should introduce for your users. Because at some point it can be too much. If your staged approach is every week, you're slowly moving stuff around the page. You could, you could upset people. Yeah. And I wonder from a learning standpoint too, like if it's, I mean, everything that I've been involved in has usually been, been large stuff, but yeah, I wonder how much of it would be if in a staged environment, it's like I got to learn this thing. And then three weeks later, I got to learn this new thing. And then, you know, continually learning versus like kind of the ripping the bandaid off kind of mentality of like, Hey, just deal with it. And you're going to pick it up a lot faster. Like, I wonder if there's any, I mean, we'd have to like, <laughs> have to like look it up and do some research, but I wonder if there's any data behind it as far as like, Hey, people it's, it's, it's an easier learn, learn, you know, if, if you just sort of rip the bandaid off and, and deal with it from, you know, cognitively versus like, Hey, you just kind of move things around you know, willy nilly. I like your point though, of like adding value to it, because I think that can be kind of scary. I know in, in our redesign, we, we, we had to come up with stuff because we knew we wanted to redesign our application to go along with the product other than, you know, versus just adding a logo in and saying, Hey, we're, you know, we rebranded. <clears throat> and so we had to get a lot of buy-in as to what, what would be the purpose? Cause we're going to be, you know, using, the equivalent of like one squad of developers, you know, so we're talking about six, seven developers for two months to like do this rebrand in the application and like a cost justification for that. Right. Um, B like what kind of value are we adding to our customers that you would, you would take this away from adding a feature right to our customers uh, for our customers. I mean, 
And so we had to kind of go through that exercise of like, what are we adding? Are we adding any value to this? And really express like what value we were adding, right? We're cleaning up our information architecture to make things easier to learn for new customers. We're, uh, we're, we're adding, you know, high contrast visuals so that it's easier for our customers to, to read everything that's on the page and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot that we had to really explain to, to almost the rest of the company even beyond our creative team who was redesigning the the brand, it was like, okay, well, how do I justify to product managers this is going to be worth our time and it's going to be successful um, versus, hey, we'll just throw up a new website, throw a logo on the page, and then our customers will be happy, you know? So that's something else, how, yeah, like you brought up. It's huge, huge to consider. For Canopy and your guys' approach, how did you get that buy-in? And especially with product and being able to carve out like an engineering team and probably PM, project manager, something to drive a lot of that work. How did they get, you know, bought in to, because I feel like as designers, like if someone says, oh, we want to give you a new brand and you get an opportunity to redesign, like I'm going to jump all over that because yeah. it's just fun. Like that's fun stuff for me personally. Uh but but yeah, convincing engineering, convincing products, that's that's something different. How did you go about it, Patrick? Yeah, we uh, we kind of I mean, we we kind of piggybacked off of a, an opportunity with the companies. The company was transitioning from sort of like company A to company B. We had a different we had different leadership. We had, you know, leadership, new leadership came in right uh, from sea level down. And so it was like from a design standpoint, it was easy to it was kind of easy to pitch to like the higher level leadership that we need to do this because they came in looking at this app as something that, you know, needed to be improved already because they were coming into the company sort of with that mindset because they were new. They're like, hey, I'm going to come in and we're going to like, you know, shake some cages and we're going to, you know, we're going to cause some ruckus here and see if we can do stuff. So. so we kind of got lucky just in that way. It was, it was just good timing. Right. But then I think the, the second thing for me was just making sure that we were doing it for the right reasons. Cause I even talked to the design team. We, we did like a little design studio in the office and we're like, okay, why are we redesigning our application? Like, give me, so we kind of went around the room and talked about why we wanted to do it. We talked about how we were going to do it. We talked about all kinds of stuff, kind of spent the whole day just kind of like talking about different ideas and stuff like that. And then the end of that day, I, I had a pretty clear vision from the team of what we were actually changing. And then I just went to, you know, I went to, uh, um, you know, our VP of product at the time and, you know, everybody and, and, and we're like, this is why we want to change it. It's not that we just want to make it look different. It's we want to make it feel different to what, you know, we're trying to accomplish as, as a company and sort of tied it together that way. You know, we said, hey, we're going to improve, you know, learnability that will help with our churn issues and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. You know, we had a whole laundry list of stuff that we could tie in. There was other stuff in that redesign that we wanted to do that we never did because we couldn't Always. tie it into an initiative, right? But it was, you know, but for the most part, I, we felt good about the entire redesign because we were getting something done. And I, and it was, it was evident after too, because about a month or two after, you know, hearing from customers about how it was much easier to find certain content and even the fact like we had, we had customers that had been customers for like three years that didn't know a feature existed. <laughs> and now now they know it exists like after the redesign like we the redesign was purposeful right and i think that's the thing that every design team should think about as well 
is like, hey, we've got this new creative team or the, or the creative team wants to put a new brand together, but we want to take advantage of that. But as a UX team or as a product design team, like how are we going to take advantage of that? What, what value are we going to add? Because the customers at the end of the day don't necessarily care about you know, the new logo or, or anything like that when they log into the app to use it. So yeah, we just, we just had, we just went through that exercise of like, what are we actually doing? And some of that, some of the little stuff we did toss out, you know, like, I don't know. I, I think you have to, I think it's a key part of it is kind of some ruthless prioritization because you could spend a lot of, of time and probably unnecessary time focusing on little tiny details that like we as the designers have been wanting to address or like things that we want to get for ourselves or that we might just want to get for users too. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing you had kind of a deadline where it was like our goal is to go live with this brand on this date or this time frame, and then you worked kind of from there. But uh, but yeah, I think ruthless prioritization will probably be uh, a, a big help to uh, who who is our question from again? From Brian. Brian from Brian. Brian. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank yeah. you. So I think, yeah, that prioritization and then have those stretch goals, right? Like have the things that you wish you could have gotten to. Mm -hmm. And if you can, if you can get it done in time, awesome. And if not, then they can fall into your backlog and you can begin to prioritize them along with everything else that you have. And then it gets to that beautiful kind of world where UX is contributing to the backlog and driving initiatives that will better the user experience yeah. forward. I think that's really great. You have a great point on on adding that value and designers. As we start to design something, we always try to slip little things in. Like we know this little thing could be better. We'll just like, you know, ask the devs, can we just like, is this hard to do? Can we just throw this into like we are always trying to like always we're always trying to add a little bit of value. We're we are like the the masters of scope creep, right? Uh, and with a redesign, especially like on a brand level, on a whole interface level, that can really add up, right? So if you aren't very clear on here's our timeline and here's exactly like what Patrick did, here's exactly what we're trying to accomplish. If this little thing you're trying to do doesn't fit into any of those categories, we have to, again, as you said, Mike, put it in the backlog and let's, let's do it later, right? <laughs> so... Uh, I think that this this kind of highlights going back to harkening back to a previous episode where you talked about kind of skills of senior plus and, and kind of like what what happens at a senior level and what and beyond. I think it's that realization that even though we want this little thing, it may it might not be the best thing to prioritize right now and understanding mm -hmm. the true needs of the business and the user rather than our own kind of personal goals of what we want to try to get in there. And I mean we're always going to try. Like, I think as designers, we, we, we always are going to try to make it better or prettier or more polished or more usable. Um, yeah. And you got to find the right balance. Absolutely. So we've been talking about redesigns on a very macro level. Like we're changing the whole interface. We're changing uh, a whole brand. Um, and Brian didn't exactly mention this in his question, but can we classify redesigns as also being on the very small level? Like, let's say you're a designer who owns a, a certain portion of the application and you are being tasked to fix something, to make an enhancement to an, to an experience. Um, could that also be classified as redesign as well? And would we have a different approach um, to actually releasing that redesign based on its size? What do you guys think about that? I definitely think that, that it can be very different. 
I think you can also have a similar approach. Like it could be a big reveal or it could be an, a staged and iterative kind of release where you're kind of educating and bringing them along. And again, it depends as, as with everything in design, mm -hmm. it depends. And, uh, and so how do you decide whether you flip a switch or have like uh, previous companies that I've worked at, you know, you have kind of a toggle where you you get put into the new experience, but you can always fall back into the old one. And then you struggle to like kill the legacy version, like forever. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I think, I think there's some, some different approaches there for sure. Yeah. yeah I, th absolutely. I think that's where you'd see more of the, like, it, I think it'd be more common to have a segmented, uh, release or a staggered release or some kind of different approach at a smaller level to, to Mike's point earlier. Like if you're not like with the brand and the marketing and everything that it feels like a big push, it feels like a big thing, right? Like a big, a big reveal, like, look at us now, you know, like we're going to bust through the banner, you know, like we're a freaking football team or whatever, but like small things, you don't necessarily want to do that in. Cause you don't necessarily want to like, disrupt everybody's workflow. And so when you're redesigning, say a portion of the app or just a feature that's like an old feature that people have been using, right? It's, I think it's almost better to sort of take it in steps and release it a little bit. Cause it, you're not, I mean, you, you sort of in that regard want to sort of like have them dip their toe in a little bit. Cause it's not like you're going to change a ton of stuff. Yeah, the rest of the app stay the same and all that stuff. So I think, I think it can depend though. So like, I think if it is an evolution of a current uh, like feature or capability that, yeah, that stage kind of bring them along, slowly roll it out could work. But uh, we have an experience on my side where we've recently done a change to navigation and it's a big change. We moved from a top navigation to a left navigation. And so that's one that it's very difficult to kind of stage that we did talk about it. Like maybe we go on like a little, diagonal thing as a joke <laughs> but uh, uh but it, it became what what happened is that we ended up being just much more cautious about our rollout of that bigger reveal and so we did a lot more testing we did different betas where it was staggered and then we did a slow ramp of of our users and um and and luckily it, it was successful because we did all of that work up front we were very confident going into the betas we received feedback and action that feedback so that when we did get to the big reveal, we had been informed along the way. Uh, but it was, it was a big reveal where we went from like 1% to a hundred percent of our North America audience. So I think that it can happen in both. And again, it depends on the level of change. Like if you're looking to change something major, like top nav to left nav, that's a big change for a user to comprehend and to figure out how they navigate this new experience versus slowly evolving it. If it's like a tool or a capability that you're just adding consecutive and consecutively adding new features to. So that's something to consider, I think. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think that kind of makes me think of like some, some potential reasons why, of course, you'd want to do the staggered approach would be like, let's say you, the cone of uncertainty, like you, you are very uncertain about this change. You've probably done research, you've done testing, but you're not going to really know how well this is going to perform, how much, how much value this will add to the users until they're actually using it. So if you release it in small portions and get feedback from those users, you can make those, those iterative changes along the way versus doing this huge thing. And then 
dropping it on them, then finding out this is not right. <laughs> we have to fix the whole thing. But essentially what, what I was saying is like another, another reason to potentially use this is if you're trying to break down that work. So if you're working in an agile team with, with your engineering team in an agile way, you're breaking down the work into small chunks and giving your customers small iterative value. And that way you can work on big things. You know, you can eat that elephant um, by breaking it down into small work. Uh, so I think there's those are some good reasons why you should choose the the staggered uh, release approach um, versus uh, the the full release all at once approach as well. Great point. Yeah. So what it really comes down to, I think I think we're getting close to solving <laughs> all of Brian's problems. Uh, our son, our dear son, he's now your son, Michael. Uh, hello, Brian. Uh, yeah. I, I, welcome to the family. <laughs> now that now that now that you're involved in the family here, he's now your son as well. Great. I accept um, he's a good. He's a good. He's a good kid, though. He doesn't get he in trouble. He's really. He's been really awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, the level of change, right? Whether whether it involves like the company itself and a brand and all that kind of stuff, obviously that's a determining factor. But the level of change, like you talked about, Mike, with hey, we're changing like. We're, we're completely overhauling our UI and you just, there's no way to like blend that in. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, yeah, then it involves your, your team, right. You're buying in your team, your engineering team as well. Cause I mean, you might have to, you might come to a point where you have to just release it right now because your engineering team doesn't have the capability to do a staggered release or a beta or, you know, I'm, I'm thinking yeah. about like small teams where it's like, we don't have a beta environment at all. It's either all yeah, or nothing, or, you know, or the size, the size of your audience as well. You know, like yeah. at indeed I have that luxury of having 1% that goes out to thousands of, of users mm -hmm. and uh, you don't always have that. And so I'd say, take advantage of the scale that you do have. And if it is for someone that is a smaller team or a smaller user base, you have the ability to provide a really high touch kind of transition. And so you're able to get in contact with these users and say, hey, we're testing this. You know, you're going to see it in the next couple of months. We'd love to walk you through it. We'd love to get your feedback early on so you can influence the direction of, of our product. And then you're, you're building those, those connections with your users that will just keep them with you forever because they will feel that loyalty rather than feeling like, oh, you know, they just changed it on me again. And so I think that, you know, being very conscious of your user base and how how well you can support them through that change is something to consider. And you can, you can probably be a little bit more aggressive if it's a smaller user base where you can have contact with everybody in, you know, a week or send an email and you know, everybody's going to read about it. Um, and, and then you can leverage that. And honestly, like leveraging that user feedback and having people bought in has been one of the biggest ways that I've achieved success in my career. But whether it's through sales or CS or going directly to the users, like there's so many ways that you can go about getting that feedback and uh, and making people feel valued and part of your part of your work. Yeah, it's such a good thing too. Like any anytime you change anytime you change something decent size, like you got to leave that you got to leave that feedback pipe open because um, mm -hmm. pe people are people people are going to vent it somehow, right? If they're frustrated with it. And you'd rather have them vented in your, you know, to you so you can improve it and, and have your arms open rather than hearing about it on Twitter, or Facebook or something, you know, whatever later. 
Well, and, so. and humble yourself. You know, you might not get it right the first time. You might have ways that you can improve it. Like one of my biggest failures is uh, uh, at a previous company I was at, we designed this new chart and this new report, but we didn't look at the entry points, you know? And so it just wasn't discoverable enough. And, uh, and so we led to, it led to users not being able to find it. Like they heard about it and marketing was telling them about it and newsletters and all this stuff. And they're like, but how the hell do I get there? And it's because, you know, I just, ugh, I missed that entry point and I didn't give it the right kind of touch that I should have. And, um, and so you, you might not get it right the first time. And I think being open to that change and understanding that, yeah, you might not have got it right uh, just straight out of the gate is something to totally accept. And it's okay to pull back, iterate, and uh, and then re-release. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to get it. I mean, it's impossible. It's impossible to nail it. You might nail part of it, but yeah. there's always going to be little stuff that you neglected, especially depending on the size of the, the redesign, right? And at the end of the day, they want red red notifications instead <laughs> of green. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, damn it, we wanted the mint. We wanted the mint. We wanted to be hip. We wanted to be cool, but they wanted to go back to the Mandy Pink. Yeah. All right, whatever. I remember the Mandy Pink. You remember Mandy Kennedy. Pink? I yeah, remember we went that. Right color. back to it. They loved it. <laughs> like, all right, we're going back. That's, I guess, that's something else to call out. I know we're getting short on time, but there are going to be things in your product that users are going to love, that they're going to be passionate about, and I think being aware of that can benefit you. If you're changing everything or taking away something that somebody always loved, like, oh, it was so easy to get to this report because I used to just do it this way, and it's like, well, that's weird. Like, we never thought people navigated that way, but yeah. now we know that you loved it, and we can try to preserve as much of that or optimize it and, and make it even more efficient for you. So it, it just goes back to needing to have that constant understanding of what your users value and mm -hmm. uh, and how they utilize your product so that you're not just changing things on them and ultimately making it harder. Well said. Absolutely. So just close it right there. Just hang up, hang up the phone, drop the <laughs> drop mic. Drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you, Mike, though. Uh, are you in a, are you like, are you in your ski chalet at some I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. I've tried to, to make this little basement that I work in, but it's, I'm, we're renting this old house right now and uh, there's all this wood paneling and, uh, and it is our storage for, for all of our ski and snowboard gear as well. So it, it it's beautiful. sure. I haven't ever thought of it as a ski chalet. I've thought of it more as like a dungeon that I have to go into every day, but uh, maybe I need to change my own perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just feel like it feels more like a ski chalet from my point of view. I love that. But I, I, I mean, that. I don't know. Maybe you need to add some different, uh, maybe just throw some gloves on the ground or something, yeah. you know, some ski just poles. Track some snow in here. And, yeah. yeah. Some put some stinky boots in the corner. That's usually what <laughs> ski chalets. <laughs> good for yeah patrick can <laughs> so, you just i don't actually know what that is exactly is that like a, sh a ski shack where you like have all your stuff in on the mountain or what is that yeah it'd be it'd be your 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 on mountain cabin essentially yeah okay like the the first aid shack where you've got the saint bernard with the with the rum underneath his his gotcha. head you know like that's where that dog hangs out and okay uh, yeah go in there get warm yeah and if nice. you're wealthy enough you can have a cabin on the run, right? So you can ski right in, make yourself some lunch, you know, grab a drink, jump back out on the slopes, be done. 
I, I don't think that'll ever be me, unfortunately. No, it but... won't ever be me. It's my you're... dream, but it'll never be me. <laughs> you're a bit of the way there, Mike, with your background right now. So yeah, you're yeah. close. I guess if, I'm, if I call it to me, maybe it'll happen. <laughs> Hey, isn't that isn't that the secret is you, you yeah you make it happen. i've got i've got plenty of other things i think that i would prioritize than uh, a ski chalet <laughs> before before <laughs> before that good point good point okay mike well it was nice having you on the pod this was fantastic this was so much fun i absolutely loved it and i'm glad i got to witness your uh both of your love for each other <laughs> and uh it's just this has been a real treat real treat yeah i'm i should have apologized for andy before we even started but uh yeah sorry, just needs, so awkward it's it's very clear he needs those words of affirmation he yes, just needs you Patrick. to reiterate how much you care and uh and i'm happy you know that you guys have such a wonderful line of communication yeah. open and yeah, most love... podcast hosts don't do this right no no no, no 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 but this is what makes uh design much great Andy, Andy's love language is talking about our love language. That's his love language. Like some people might be gifts, some people might be affirmations. Andy's is Andy's is the the consistent. Hey, can we talk about what our love languages are again? Yes, it's important. It's important. We need more of that in the world. Yep. Hey, we're vulnerable on this podcast. Hey, that is the key to so much success. Honestly. Yeah finding ways to be communicative and be vulnerable. Uh, it's been a tough lesson for me to learn myself. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad you were on. I'm glad to have you on. We'll, we'll have to get you back on again. Yeah, uh, we can, we can keep going deeper on relationships and, and okay. you know, how you can express love for those you care about yeah. most. Yeah. Maybe next time we'll just dedicate the whole entire podcast to that. <laughs> Definitely. Turn to like a new version of love line, right? Hey, mm -hmm. I loved Loveline back in the day. Dr. Drew. Wow. It used Throwback. to be good. Is it still oh, even is it still even like out there? I'm sure he's cashing in on it somewhere. Right? It's gotta be. If he's not, we have there's a big hole in the market, right? <laughs> that we need to fill as <laughs> the Design Much podcast. The UX, the UX Designers love talking line. love. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited for this evolution for you guys, this iteration. <laughs> Instead of, yeah, instead of topic-based podcasts, we should turn this into a relationship, like a UX relationship-building podcast. Like, Yes. How do there's, you, some how juicy, do you... there's some juicy stuff there, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we have probably years, probably decades of stuff just on the, on the designer-developer relationship that we could work oh my with. Gosh. Man. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, listeners, <laughs> you've made it this far. If you have some relationship needs, if you need some advice, send us a topic, designmuch.org. Send us a topic. Uh, and is, it, is it preferably professional relationship advice, or are no. you open to all types? A anything. because All right. I'm, I might drop a few in there then. Do it. Okay. And, and you can do it anonymously, too. That's the beauty. Yeah. That's <laughs> good. No, we've we've okay. just committed to this, Patrick. So, yeah, yeah, I think we're doing it now. It's great. It's great. Okay. See okay. you guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. <laughs> See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening to the pod. Real quick before you take off, we need your topics. 
shoot an email to topics at designmuch.org or go to designmuch.org slash contact and fill out the form. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, go ahead and share the pod with some friends, coworkers, your weird aunt, that guy who takes your money every morning at the McDonald's, your hamster, really just whoever you want to. Lastly, go grab a Design Much t-shirt at designmuch.threadless.com and wear it freaking proudly. That's it, guys. Now have a good week, design nerds.